0: All right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here, and it's awesome to be with you today. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 9. That's where we're going to start. And I think you saw these probably as you were coming in today. We have some study guides that uh, have been written by Thomas Hoke. Some of you guys may recognize that name. Thomas was raised in Parkview. He's a student at Trinity Seminary now. He interned with us last summer. He has an amazing gift for uh, writing and taking deep theological truths and putting them in, I think, simple language to follow. So I think you'll find this study guide to be really helpful to you. There's a couple studies you can do during the week, but it'll follow our Mark series from now through Easter. So if you want to grab one of those, like five bucks helps offset our costs. If you could do that, that'd be awesome. But I'd love for you to have uh, one of those books. So um, the last couple months or so, I've had the opportunity to uh, just tell my story in a couple different contexts. People wanted, we were, everybody was going around the circle and kind of sharing their life story. And as I've had the chance to do that a couple of times, the theme that kept coming up for me about my life is that God has provided. God is my provider. And so God is the kind of God that when he sees a need, he can meet a need. And maybe as, if we could all gather and tell stories, that that would be a theme we would see, that God's people see he is a God that sees needs and meets needs. That's why, like for example, Paul says in Philippians 4.19 that my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. So God is an amazing God. And then what you see throughout history is that when God's people see this aspect of him, that he sees needs and meets needs, that he's our provider, what you see then is God's people have spread throughout history and have done the same thing, that when they see needs, they meet them. That's why like throughout history, you see where clinics... Or orphanages will emerge. It's often done in the name of Christ, you know, Saint so and so, Saint John, Saint Mark's, you know, uh, um, hospital or orphanage. All these things are done by people who reflect the God who's been gracious to them, and that's why throughout history, it's Christians who are defending the rights of women or children or the poor or the sick. And so, it's because we have a God who meets. Our needs. And even today, we see that. Like a couple months ago, when Houston was being ravaged by the floods, there were so many that were served and cared for by Christians, by churches reaching out and caring for each other. And so, even as you look at the history of Parkview, you guys have been an amazing church at doing the same kind of thing in our city, uh, throughout the world. See a need meet a need. And so this morning what you're going to see is God is going to do this for us. God is presenting to us our, the the need that we have the greatest need that we have and he's showing us how Jesus meets this need, okay? So that's where we're headed. But the Gospel of Mark is one of four stories of the life of Jesus. And last fall we went through the first 8 chapters. And we've called this whole series The Crown and the Cross. And I think the the gospel lays out beautifully. It's almost like part one, part two. The first eight chapters, the real theme was presenting to us Jesus the Christ. In fact, one of the first things Jesus said is to repent and believe the gospel, that the kingdom is at hand. And what he meant was the kingdom's at hand because the king is at hand. The first eight chapters continually show us that Jesus is the son of God. And then he was proving that through uh, the miracles, through walking on water, through feeding 5,000, through raising the dead. So all these things, all these examples were pointing to the truth that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God. And then we came to the end of chapter 8, and it's almost like Mark was written beautifully as... Uh, like we're calling our marriage conference, This Is Us. So like if any of you guys are following This Is Us, you know, they usually build you up in a series and then they give you a month break over over Christmas to start putting together. Are they going to tell us how Jack died? Or why did Kevin get caught with a DUI with Randall's kid in the back seat? If you've never watched This Is Us, you have no idea what I just said. But that's, they, they leave you in a cliffhanger and you've got to wait a month to see how those things play out. And so the gospel of marks a little bit like that. At the end of chapter eight, where we've had this crescendo of Jesus is great. He's the son of God. Jesus begins to, to flip the, the script a little bit. So if you remember, and I'll just read us a, a couple of verses to, to refresh us from how chapter eight ended. Jesus was with his disciples and he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they were throwing out all the different answers. But then he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter raised his hand and said, you are the Christ. And Jesus said, that's right. Good job, Peter. So Peter's like rock star. But then right after that, Jesus said um, this, he said, and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise. So when Peter heard that, He got in Jesus' grill and he said, there is no way you're going to die. I mean, their hopes were, here's the king. He's going to stroll into Jerusalem. We're going to overthrow our enemies. At that time, it was the Romans. And then Jesus is going to set up his kingdom. But Jesus is changing the tune and saying, no, I am going to suffer and I'm going to die. And Peter confronted him and said, no, you're not. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. So Peter goes from being rock star to Satan in about a minute's time there, okay? So And then as as chapter 8 ended, um, Jesus said a few more things. He uh, said to them that the man must suffer, and he went through that. And then he called a crowd to himself, and he said, If anybody would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. but Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is an amazingly challenging invitation And you're going to see this invitation ramp up throughout the whole second half of the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus is going to suffer. He's going to give his life. He's going to see a need and meet a need. And that need is going to be met through his sacrifice and his suffering. And he's going to be telling his team, are you guys with me? Are you guys coming? And so this is a great message for us this morning, too. Uh, This is not just a history lesson. This is, uh, these are principles that Jesus is walking us through as well, because what people often do with their faith is they go really passive or they just kind of keep it contained. And so maybe we come to worship on Sunday, but then we basically live however we want to live. And so the world doesn't need just another religious person. Like what this world needs are people who will reflect the heart of our God that see needs and meet needs. Even if that comes at great cost, even if that comes at great sacrifice, That is where we're going to find meaning in this life. And that is the life that Jesus is inviting us into. But for us to be those kind of people, first, we have to have our greatest need met. And that's how this whole second half of the Gospel of Mark is going to start, is Jesus is going to address our greatest need so that then we can be unleashed to see a need and meet a need, just like he does. So let me pray, then we'll jump in to this amazing passage. So let's let's pray. So Father, would you speak to us today because the last thing we want to do with our lives is just play it safe and just be another religious person that takes up space on the planet. We want to be used by you to be the kind of people that when we see needs and you empower us that we go and meet those needs, not for our glory, but for yours, Jesus. And thank you for inviting us into this life. So would you open our eyes today and show us our greatest need that you want to meet? And then show us how we would, how we should respond. In your great name we pray. Amen. Alright, so you got your Bible, Mark chapter 9, verse 1 is where we're gonna start. And it says, And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, some of you are standing here, will not, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. Let's stop for a second. Um, A lot of you guys know this, but maybe some of you don't the verses and the chapters like those numbers that we have in our Bible um, Have been put in after the story was written after the Bible was put together This is one of those instances where I might have slipped that verse up into the end of chapter 8 Because that this verse happened right at the end of Jesus meeting with his disciples So he's changed the tune. He said I'm gonna go suffer. I'm gonna be rejected. I'm gonna die And at the end of that conversation, he tells them, some of you won't taste death until you see the kingdom come in power. Now, some people have taken that phrase and said, now, what did Jesus mean by that? Like, what's he mean by kingdom coming in power? I think the best answer to that comes in the very next verse. So let's, let's continue. What did Jesus mean by some of you will not die until you see the power of the kingdom? So verse two, and after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain, where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. So this is six days later. Peter, James, and John were three of Jesus' disciples. They were kind of his inner core. These were the three guys that he invested in the most. He spent the most time with them. And so he took them on a hike up a mountain. And when they got up there, it says that Jesus was transfigured. Okay, The word transfigured literally comes from a Greek word that we get the word metamorphosis from. If you go way back to junior high or high school biology, you know, metamorphosis is like when a caterpillar like turns into a butterfly. It's that process of something changing forms, okay? And so basically, literally, Jesus changed forms. He was fully God and fully man when he walked in this planet. And so for a majority of Jesus' life, he looked like one of us. There was nothing about his appearance that would make him stand out. But in this instance, Jesus was transfigured before them, which meant that his deity was shining through. Okay, and the words used to describe what Jesus looks like when he was transfigured are the same kind of descriptions that you see in the book of Revelation of angels or of beings in heaven, like this dazzling white appearance is an expression of God's glory, of God's holiness, of God's purity. And so it almost sounds like a laundry commercial when it says it's whiter than any garment can become. It's not talking about how clean his clothes were. What's really the focus here is how radiant this glory was that was coming from Jesus. He's fully God, fully man. And for this moment, his glory of his deity is shining forth aloud and clear. And so it's the glory of God in human form. That's what the transfiguration is. And so uh, these guys are amazed. And so we're not going to have time to go into it this morning. But this, this uh, situation on the mountain with Jesus and his disciples has so many connections to a time in the Old Testament where Moses went up onto the mountain to seek God, to get the Ten Commandments and Mount Sinai. And so when Moses was in God's presence, the Bible says that he glowed. Because he couldn't look at God and live. He couldn't look upon the glory of God. But just being around God, when Moses came down from the mountain, the people were just blinded. Like they were just blinded by the glory that Moses just simply reflected. So what's happening with Jesus is distinct in that he's not just reflecting glory. He is radiating glory. Okay, so as bright as Moses was back then, Jesus even more so is radiating The deity of God. And so Hebrews 1 3 says that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, the radiance of his glory. And so uh, these disciples are amazed, like in the presence of Jesus being transfigured. And so then our boy Peter speaks up. Okay, verse 5. What's Peter going to say in such a moment? So verse 5 Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let's put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But he did not know what to say because they were so frightened. Like, Peter, of all moments, of all things, it's good for us to be here. Like, Captain Obvious, like, right there. Okay, Peter, that's astonishing. How would you come up with that? Like, absolutely. And you know what else? It gets cold in Iowa sometimes. Like, it's you're so brilliant, Einstein. Good job, Peter. Like, it is good for us to be here. Really, Peter, what you should have said is what in the world am I doing here? Like, who am I to even see and be in the presence of the glory of God? You know, Peter had a moment like that earlier with Jesus where he was fishing and not, Peter was a fisherman. He didn't catch anything. And then Jesus said, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? And the, the haul of fish was so great. Peter was just overwhelmed and he ran to Jesus and fell before him and said, depart from me. Uh, because i'm a sinful man so peter had that in him but in this moment he was so amazed he didn't know what to say okay he was so afraid he just goes, it was good it's good for us to be here and then interrupting peter's babbling i don't know what i would have said so i'm not dissing peter here but but that's what peter's doing and by the way remember that the gospel of mark uh, was written by a man named john mark but scholars tell us that mark got his information from peter so if it seems like Peter gets thrown under the bus under the bus a lot in this gospel, it's Peter kind of doing it to himself. Yeah, Mark, when you talk about that transfiguration, man, I was a fool. Man, I just said, it's good for us to be here. So that's coming straight from Peter. It's kind of cool background. So um, verse 7, then while Peter's kind of rambling out his, his foolishness, verse 7 says, Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud and said, This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And they were coming down the mountain and Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the son of man had risen from the dead. And they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. So um, what God is doing for what Jesus is doing here for his disciples is he's meeting their greatest need in that he is showing them who he really is. And the father and so on top of this, just making sure they understand, this is my son who I love. Listen to him. It's, it's really cool when you break down those three statements from God the Father to God the Son. This is the second time that God the Father has verbally affirmed his son uh, while his, during his time on the earth, during the time in his ministry. Early in Mark chapter 1, when Jesus was baptized, the Father encouraged his son with similar statements. And so it's really interesting to, for us to see within the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, to see how the Trinity works and that one of their ways they express love to each other is to affirm each other and to declare love for each other. Isn't that, isn't that cool? I think sometimes we can just kind of push Jesus aside and say, well, he's different, he was God. He didn't need to hear stuff like that. But I think this was incredibly empowering and encouraging to Jesus. To hear God the Father say those three things. Some of you, people, some of you folks may have heard of a, a man named Robert Lewis. He's done a lot of writing on um, manhood and on being a good dad and on raising sons especially. He wrote a book called Raising a Modern Day Knight. And when he looks at these words that God the Father said to God the Son, he says that these are three powerful messages that every son needs to hear from a dad. That I love you. I'm proud of you, and you are good at, you know, fill in the blank. Because that's what God the Father was doing here for his son. You're my son, whom I love. I'm pleased with you. And he's telling everybody, listen to him, because he's good. So just think about that, Dad. It's like, how are you empowering and encouraging your sons? But you see God the Father encourage his son in those ways. But what's interesting in this whole situation is that I think it's it's also not just meant to encourage Jesus, but it's also meant to encourage Peter, James, and John. Who really is Jesus? Okay, you're going to need to see who Jesus is. If you want to fire up some followers of Jesus, you're going to need to let them see who he really is. Because if they're going to follow Jesus, it's going to get hard. There's going to be times of suffering. There's going to be times where it looks like Jesus is losing. What? Jesus is arrested? What, Jesus is hanging on a cross? Like the kingdom doesn't unfold in the way that we think it does. And so in those times where we're following Jesus and it's not easy and it doesn't look good and it doesn't look hopeful, we have to cling to who Jesus really is. And so God is showing these three guys and God is meeting their greatest need and opening their eyes to see the glory of God that is in Jesus Christ. And it's not just his power and his holiness he wants them to see he also wants them to see his grace we have to jump to matthew's version of this transfiguration Ma- matthew gives us a detail that mark didn't give us and so if you look at at matthew chapter 17 it says that when the disciples heard you know the words that came from god the father they fell on their faces and they were terrified so it's not just it's good for us to be here like they're just now they're on their faces they are terrified because they realize now they're in the presence of God and the holiness of God. And then verse seven, but Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. You know, our greatest need is to really see who Jesus is, to see his glory, his power, his strength. And our immediate response to that is, it. <laughs> It should be like, who am I? Like, I do not belong in a relationship. I do not deserve access to such a God. And so our response initially would be just like Peter, James, and John, fall on our faces with fear. But we also see when our eyes are open, it is Jesus who picks us up and says, fear not. Because Jesus came to be the bridge between sinful people like us and the glory and the holiness and the goodness of God. like He is our bridge. That's why he came. He didn't come to overthrow Romans. We had a far bigger problem than a Roman government. Our problem is sin that separates us from God. So Jesus came to take care of that sin. Jesus came to pick us up so that now we can stand in the presence of God and we can follow this God and we can know this God and we can live our lives serving this God, empowered by this God, he sees our need meets our needs so that when we see needs, we can step in and meet them as well. And so if you're new to Parfury or new to all this stuff this morning, You, your whole, your whole journey here, you just join us in the journey that it's not about how good we are or that we've achieved or look at what we've accomplished. Like we bring nothing into this relationship with God. He's the one that is glorious. He's the one that is strong. And it's Jesus who came to rescue us from our sins so that we can know God. And so if that's new to you, just please don't come to church as a way to get closer to God uh, or to try to do more to get closer to God. It's all been done for you through Jesus. Okay? And so God wanted to fire up his leaders. He knew there would be hard days. He wanted to see who Jesus is. And it's really interesting. If you look, um, this would be several years after this. If you follow the script then for John and for Peter, that they lived with Jesus, they saw Jesus die, they saw Jesus rise again from the dead. They saw Jesus ascend into heaven, and then Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to Peter and John. And they saw God do amazing things through them. God saw needs and met needs, but it also came at a cost. These guys suffered. They sacrificed. It was hard for them. But at the end of both of their journeys, listen to what John said. Both of them, both Peter and John, point back to this experience on the mountain, how that propelled them to trust and follow Jesus. So John 1.14, John says that the word, talking about Jesus, became flesh and he lived among us and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And Peter talks about this situation in his letter, Second Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 16. Peter's writing to Christians who are in the midst of suffering and persecution because of their faith. And Peter's telling them, guys, this is totally worth it. And what he references back to is his time on the mountain with Jesus. Look what he says. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we didn't make this up. He said, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born by him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. Both Peter and John look back to that as saying, that's where we knew, that's where we saw that we're not just following this man, Jesus, we're following the God man, Jesus Christ. And so, guys, um, our greatest need to be faithful followers of Jesus, to be the kind of people that see needs and meet needs, will be that we've got to see Jesus clearly. We've got to see who he is. And then, if I could take that a step further, one of our roles in each other's lives is to help each other see Jesus clearly. So, if you were here last week, we talked about worship. Like, why do, when Christians gather, Why do we worship? Why do Christians around the world today are preaching and singing, preaching and singing, that that one reason we gather together and sing out is that we're reminding each other of how glorious Jesus is, how awesome he is, okay? So keep singing out. You're doing good at that, okay? But remember, you're not just singing for you and it's not just about you and your voice, but you're proclaiming truths about Jesus to fire each other up, okay? But then secondly, there's something we wanna keep getting better at as a church, and we're doing it through our community groups, and you're going to be hearing these kind of themes throughout 2018. But we'd love to equip ourselves as a church to speak truth into each other's lives. So that if if I were to come up to you and, and share that I'm really struggling with this or having a hard time with this, that you would be able to point me to some truths about Jesus that will help me battle that discouragement or that doubt or that sin in my life. And so let me share with you, there was a guy named Tim Chester that wrote a book called You Can Change. And he talks about the four Gs. Some of you have heard this before, but, but this is kind of driving home a, a way that we can apply what we see happening at the transfiguration, okay? So the four Gs are these four statements. Jesus is glorious, so we don't have to fear others. Like, Jesus is the glorious one, so why are we more concerned about what other people think in our lives? Jesus is glorious, so we don't have to fear what others think. Jesus is great, So I don't have to be in control. If I'm afraid of the future, if I'm worrying about things, I'm trying to take over Jesus' job. Jesus is great, and he's in control, so I don't have to worry. Okay, Jesus is great. Uh, Jesus is gracious, so I don't have to prove myself. Like, he's already accepted me. While I was a sinner, Jesus died for me. So I'm accepted by Jesus. He's gracious. I don't have to prove myself. And Jesus is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere to be satisfied. I don't have to look to pornography. I don't have to look to acquiring more and more stuff. I don't have to look to achievement or trying to impress you because all that I need is found in Christ. And guys, just imagine if, you know, something, a tool like the four G's can just keep pointing us back to who Jesus is and his glory and his goodness and his greatness and how those things unleash us to really live for him. So You know, there's another great example that just happened in our culture last week about Jesus being more glorious than anything else in this planet. So if you're not a football fan, you just need about a minute timeout. You can check your phone or whatever, but let's talk football for a little bit. So last Sunday, there was an absolutely amazing ending to a playoff game. And I don't know if we have Viking fans in the house, but they're calling it... Yeah, there we go. So they're calling it the Minneapolis Miracle. So with like 10, 15 seconds left, a third-string quarterback... 61 yards away from the end zone. They had to score to win. It's the first walk-off touchdown to win a playoff game in NFL history. So you're going to see a clip of that, and then you're going to see the interview after the game with this third-string quarterback named Case Keenum. Do your best. The audio is not the greatest, but here's an example of a guy finding more glory in Christ than in one of the most spectacular sporting achievements you'll ever see. Okay, so let's watch. Keenum's going to try to work the ball on the boundary. Steps into it, passes, caught! Dicks! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Vikings win it! And Case Keenum has just taken the Minnesota Vikings to the NFC Championship game. Yeah, I mean, I I don't even know right now. I I can't, I have no words. You asked me about this moment, what this moment's been to me, is, is. Going to the third best moment of my life all great moments. well thank you very much'll we'll see you in you. Next Sunday all right? so you may not have been able to hear him, but they asked like, is this the greatest moment in your life he said it 's actually third greatest like on the spot to just roll this out, and he said, "My greatest was when I met my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ." Then he fortunately had the wherewithal to say, and the day I got married was next. <laughs> and, then, and then he said the game. He must not have kids yet, because I would have slipped that in, maybe to number three, but maybe he doesn't have kids yet. But, but isn't that cool that just a no-brainer response is like as amazing it is to have 80,000 people singing your praises, the Minneapolis miracle, and you got to be involved in that, but still you are so grounded and so realizing that eternally what far outweighs this moment of glory it's the glory of knowing my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guys, this isn't just history we're talking about. Like this is today that God would love to open our eyes and show us who it is that is truly glorious so that we, our, need, our deepest need could be met, a need for something to be in awe of, something to, to satisfy us, something to pursue in our lives. And that is all summed up in the person of Jesus Christ who is glorious and who gave his life so that you can access that. Glory. So our Father in heaven has met our greatest need through Christ. So now our best response is going to be twofold. And my first part of the sermon is going to take way longer than the second. We're going to wrap it up real quick. So our best response is twofold. What do you do to this response to the glory of Jesus? Well, first, you do what the Father said, is that you listen to him. You listen to him. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. As you continue through the chapter, Jesus began to teach these guys again that there's going to be a time of suffering and that he will be rejected. And I I can't blame these guys. I would be just like them. But you're going to see that continue to unfold in chapter 9. Chapter 10, Jesus is going to keep teaching them like it's going to get hard, and they're just totally missing it. So listen to Jesus. He's preparing us for what's to come. Listen to Jesus about what it really means to follow him. I think too many of us often cling to evangelicalism in the 80s, 90s, 2000s, American evangelicalism, that if Jesus is on your side, man, it gets easy. It's a piece of cake. You just kind of coast. You just sit back and accumulate all that Jesus has done for you, and that's not the life that Jesus calls us to. He calls us to a life of sacrifice. He calls us to a life of seeing needs and meeting needs, and that's where we will be fulfilled and satisfied As we see Jesus has met our need and now in his name and obeying his call, we move into hard places. We move into places of sacrifice, reflecting the goodness of the God that we know, okay? So you listen to Jesus. And so watch that as we continue to go through Mark, how Jesus tries to prepare us to be people who are willing to find true life by laying it down for others, just like he has laid it down for us. And then second, so listen to him and then our second response is we've got to radically depend on him, depend on him. So we're not going to have time to go. into it's a fascinating story. But verses 14 to 29, Jesus, Peter, James, and John come down from the mountain. And if you heard the experience, the expression before, a mountaintop experience. You know, so like maybe sometimes I think that came in church circles, that, that if you had a great conference somewhere and you learned a lot about God or you were at a camp as a kid and you just got so close to God The mountaintop experience or a mission trip where you just so saw God at work, but then coming down from the mountain is like getting back into the normal grind of life. It's like going to work on Monday after you've had a great week away from work. And so Jesus and the disciples come down, and they step back into the grind. In fact, when they get down from the mountain, the first thing Jesus hears is a huge commotion. There's a big fight. And there's religious scholars and critics and skeptics And then there's Jesus' nine disciples, and there's a desperately needy dad, and there's just chaos. And they see Jesus, and they'll just run to him, like, Jesus Jesus is finally here. So what's been going on is this dad has a son who has been just impacted by demons, and they are just threatening this kid's life over and over again. And the dad, so desperate for help, brought his son to Jesus' disciples and asked them, to do something, and they couldn't do it. So I don't know what the scribes and religious people are doing there. Are they taunting them? Yeah, you guys are no good. Yeah, we are. You know, So there's just a big mess going on in the middle of all this, just a grieving dad. And so Jesus at one moment says, oh, how long do I have to put up with this unbelieving generation? We see Jesus just being, being human, being like us, and just sighing, how long do I have to put up with you guys? How long will it be before you truly see who I am? and what you can do through me. And so then Jesus begins a dialogue with the dad. And you guys, I love this dad. Like when I get to heaven, I'm, there's other people I want to meet, but I want to meet this dad. I want to give him a big hug because I love what he says here. Listen to this, verse 21. So Jesus asked the dad, how long has your son been like this? From childhood, he answered, it has often thrown him, talking about the demon, has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And then it goes on, and Jesus addresses the demon, throws the demon out, comes out with a loud shriek and a lot of convulsions and violence, and the boy drops like he's dead. But Jesus comes and picks the boy up, and he's fully restored. And so... Jesus and his disciples later, verse 32, says Jesus had gone indoors and his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive that demon out? And Jesus replied, this one only comes out by prayer, only by prayer. So as God unleashes you to be a see a need, meet to need person, the clear message he's saying here is like, you can't do this. Like there is nothing, there is nothing in you that can step in and confront what the enemy is doing in this world. There is nothing, you do not have the power, he does. And so our calling is to be radically dependent, so radical. This father doesn't just say, oh, I believe you can do it, Jesus, I believe. Like he, I, Have you had something that's been so hard for you that you feel like you've prayed so long? And then it, it almost turns into your prayers are more just because you know you should pray than you really believe they're helping. Do you, do you guys ever get there? Like where, okay, I know I should pray, and I know I can't do this, and i got to depend on God, and I'm going to pray, but I don't really believe this is going to happen anymore. Like, that's what that dad is saying. Like, God, I, I do believe. It's like I do want to believe, but, but help my unbelief. I love how he takes it even a step further back. They say, God, I am so dependent right now that I don't even know if I have the faith that you can do this. But would you give me the faith so that I can continue to trust in you so that you can continue to unfold your power and your glory and your kingdom however you want to? Like That is an amazingly humble prayer. And that is exactly what Jesus is looking for from us, just radical dependence on him. I love how we as a church have started this year. That if you've been part of the 21 days of prayer, you've been getting those emails, been getting a lot of feedback from people like how helpful that's been to start a day with a prompt to pray. Like I am so excited to see what God is going to do in this year forward because we have laid before 2018 21 days of hundreds and hundreds of prayer. We're doing exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. We're depending on him. We're not flying into this year like, oh, we've done this before. Let's let's just do it again. Like, no, no, no. Jesus, we have no idea the challenges coming at us this year. Jesus, we have no idea the needs you're going to put before us. We have no idea the stories that will be told about 2018. But what we do know is that you are with us. You are the glorious God. You are great, you are glorious, you are good, and you are gracious. And we're gonna move forward into this year, not on on our power, not with our schemes, or our plans, or our experience, but we're moving forward with you. And so, and that's my encouragement to you because 2018 for you might be, like right now, the challenges are just right here. like they're They're your own challenges, like an addiction, like fighting for joy, like fighting for for purpose or for happiness, like your your battle might just be right here. And so the challenge there, the invitation to you is to really see who Jesus is and keep crying out independence on him. And then as God continues to meet your need, and may he do this for us in our church, that our eyes would be open then to see the needs around us. Guys, it is so cool to think in advance, like this time next year, how many people will encounter uh, Jesus Christ and see him for who he really is, because uh, so many of you were courageous and just stepped out and served and met a need. Like, I always like to think that at the start of the year, like, um, who was it that this time last year, I didn't even know who they were. And usually, if you think about that, there's just a lot of names that come to mind. Like, I, I didn't even know who these people were this time last year, but God brought me across their path. They came to us. They came looking for something. Now, these people are awesome. Like, it's great to see him. Isn't that cool to think about 2018? Who is it that you don't even know right now that God has a plan for you to step in and meet their needs through what God has done for you through Jesus? So whatever, and some of those are gonna be really hard situations. Some of them will cost you. Some of them will require sacrifice, time, energy, money. Um, But what Jesus is saying is like, go for it. Like, that's that's what you're here to do. See who I am and then step into this year ready to go. But don't step in in your own power. Step in with my power and watch me work. So let's pray to wrap this up. And uh, let me just give you a chance to pray. And I just want to just recap those four G's. So whichever one of those you need to cling to personally this morning, that God is, that Jesus is glorious, so you don't have to fear others. That Jesus is great, so you don't have to be in control Jesus is gracious. You don't have to prove yourself. Jesus is good, so you don't have to look elsewhere to be satisfied. Which one of those in particular do you need to grab and just pray that out to Jesus? You're glorious. You're great. You're gracious. You're good. Lord, we don't know what's coming in this year ahead, but we know at the end of this year, we'll be able to look back and say, God provided. God was good. And Jesus, you are the one who will be the deliverer of that goodness and of that provision. So open our eyes to see who you truly are. May we step into this year individually as families and as a church to be those people that see and meet needs through you, Jesus, and for your glory and not ours. We love you. Thank you. In your great name we pray, amen.